Hi, this is Trevor Jackson. Welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine and our Summer Snap series. Over the extended holiday break, we'll be looking back over some of the more fascinating conversations from the podcast with two students featured in each episode. These bite-sized snapshots are a bit like your favourite holiday photos, a reminder of a memorable moment and a chance to revisit that experience again. If you missed these conversations the first time around, then it's a great opportunity to get a taste of those stories and perhaps inspire you to dig a little deeper by going back to the original show. What you're about to hear over the coming weeks are some of the most talked about guests who have appeared on the podcast, as well as a few that may have slipped under the radar the first time around. Each of our Summer Snaps episodes will be linked by a theme where often the students featured will be from entirely different cultural backgrounds or pursuing studies that have no direct relationship with each other. The one thing that they all have in common is that they have come to the Gold Coast, a city that respects and embraces cultural diversity, while giving these students the opportunity to pursue their dreams. In many cases, the students are only just beginning to discover who they really are as they start to realise their true potential. The third summer snap features two international students who were so determined to be true to themselves that they boldly left their past behind them as they pursued their studies to their dream careers. By his own account, Naveen Mukha led a spoon-fed, privileged life growing up in Delhi. The family stationery business was started by his grandfather, with Naveen's father and uncles then taking it on to even greater heights. And while Naveen was being groomed to join the family business, he turned his back on that opportunity to study marketing and hospitality at Griffith University. There was one point in Naveen's story that really stopped me in my tracks. When Naveen started talking about his father's resolve to ensure his son wasn't spoiled by the family's wealth, Naveen recalled the ferocity of his father's anger and the fear it created within him as he was growing up. And the time I was in my... I, I cleared my 12th grade and went to the college, I bought my first car. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I bought it, but I mean, it was sort of a joint family gift to me. Which is a pretty my, exciting my, thing. Yeah, my father was not in a favor of it, although. But yeah, I requested <laughs> the same as I requested in my sixth grade as I want a cell phone in my fifth grade. And then he was like, no, I'll wait for it. And in my sixth grade, secretly, my grandfather gave me, I, I still remember, 3,000 rupees. And 2,000 rupees was given to me by my uncle and I bought a cell phone. And at the same night, uh, it's, it's a culture in joint family in India that we, I mean, in our family at least, we used to take at least two meals together, breakfast and dinner. Yes. So in dinner, we used to have a chit-chat, what happened throughout the day and everything. And, and it's an extended family. Yeah, it's ex- just extended, not you and your parents. Yeah, no, it's no, your no. uncles it's and your grandparents. My, my two and uncle, aunties and mother and everyone. Yeah. So we were sitting on a round table having dinner together. And at that time, uh, my uncle was like, just tell him. And I was like, what? He was like, you bought a cell phone today. Just tell him. And I was too afraid. I know the temper. He has very high temper in family. Everyone is afraid of him. The time I especially you, <laughs> yeah, speci- specifically me. Even there had been so many encounters. Me peeing in my pants whenever I used to see him. If I have done any sort of mistake, 
So it happened the same time again. In my sixth grade, that time I told him, I bought a phone and his eyes were totally red and he stared at me and was like, give me your phone in a polite way. And then I was like, oh my God, what I should I do? And I was like, okay, dad, take it. And as soon as the phone was into his hands, he just took the phone and just forcefully threw it on the floor. Oh, and it, it was into pieces. And at that time, I realized, even if I want to, I cannot go against will of my parents because in the end, I'm wasting money and making them angry on me. Surely your uncle and your, your grandfather would have known that your father might do something yeah, like yeah, that. I mean, but they, they still they, gave they, you the they, money anyway. Yeah, they, even this stopped my father, please don't do, at least don't destroy the phone, let it be. But he got too angry that you are spoiling my child and it's not the right way how my child, child should be, I mean, grow. You understand why he... Yeah, I, now, I, now I, I do understand. He, yeah. Now but I totally respect whatever he did and... He in didn't fact, want you to be spoiled. Yeah, he wanted you to, I'm presuming, uh, the, to respect money, to, to value it. To not value to, it, yeah, Not to exactly. think that you got it too easily. So so what kind of relationship do you have with your dad now? Like, is Are you close to him? or No, no, I'm very close. It's, it's I wouldn't say it's a close best buddies because, I mean, I, I don't like share 100% things with him. But yeah, I'm, I'm like 19 Eight percent close to ninety-eight percent. I would say just. I mean, some personal stuff. If you let's say, if you're drinking sometime over or like being with your friends, staying over there. I mean, that stuff. I I, I generally I don't share with him because I know he'll he'll again be like, he'll give me a bit of again a lecture, which is right in his way. But again, I'm in the moment. I'm just enjoying the moment. So that's the thing. How does your dad and did your mom? How does your family, your extended family, feel about the fact that, as their only son, you've left India now to come here? I mean, specifically at the age of twenty-eight, when I decided that I want to finally go abroad, because it started from the age of like again the grade ten that I want to go abroad. I started after my twelfth also. I applied for University of Massachusetts, and I got the offer letter. I was applying for the visa. And the fees was too much. He applied for the loan. And I believe uh, at that stage only, my each and every family member was like, it's it's not the right decision. You have a business over here. And over there, you need to do everything. You need to clean your clothes. There would be no one to talk to you. Plus, I mean, there would be blah, blah things that you have been so comfortable over here, so pampered. Why and, would you and, want to go and, there? And, 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 and this, they said, we don't think that you'll be able to, to gel into that atmosphere. That's a very a reputable university, University of Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's what, uh, I mean, the time I got, I was so excited, but getting a loan approved and applying for the visa, it takes like three to four months. So during that initial first month only, every one of my family member and relatives were like, I mean, the close relatives, I would say, who knows about that I wanted to go to US. They were like, it's, it's not the right decision. It's too much of money it's super costly plus my dad was like i can get a loan for you i can repay also the same education loan but don't expect anything after that that would be a full stop because you have been an expensive child i know <laughs> so he, he generally says it i am and I, I would totally agree to it in my oh, really? in my joint family 
But uh, I didn't think he spent uh, very uh, much money on you at all, uh, with all due respect. So. <laughs> no, but it, I, it, I mean, from my 12th grade onwards, I've been spending on an average of thirty to 40000 a month. It's 40000 would be... I would say somewhere, rupees? somewhere, yeah, rupees would be somewhere close to 800, 800, 800 rupees, $800, I would say. A month. A month. You are such it's, a business it's, it's person. A, you're always talking in absolute values, aren't yeah, you? It's, it's like, you know, you've say, broken I mean, all this down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so that's what I've been spending. And according to his opinion, and that's I, too expensive. I, I, I would totally agree. According to a family, uh, a joint family who earns somewhere good money and major share is contributed to me. It's like, I'm the one who is a, I would I wouldn't say spoiled child, but I would say yeah, expensive and <laughs> expensive child. Yeah, exactly. Wow, gee, really? Okay, that's interesting that you would say know, that. I, given how frugal your dad was with you, yeah, <laughs> I find this really curious. But yeah, but, but but after coming to Australia, I would say if I would have like grown up according to my dad's principle and values it would have been much more easier for me to gel into australian culture rather than taking six to seven months i mean after coming to australia for four to five months i didn't even have a thought that i need to apply for a job i was just thinking that i'll do my trimester one will score very good at least 5.5 to 6 gpa which i did and I'll just enjoy my that period. That's all. I was not having a second thought about applying for the job. And moreover, I had back in my mind that if I'll be applying for a job, definitely I'll get it. At least a good basic sort of office job, nine to five, which I had a perception. It is totally opposite. And I totally agree to the Australian culture because I don't have any experience, local experience. Well, and you would have never have had to have applied for a job. You've yeah, gone no. straight out of university into working in the family business. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah, so. straight away. I never had an experience of like applying for the jobs or struggling with that and not even with the finances. So with each and everything I encountered here in Australia, that's why I say if I have been totally from my fifth grade up till my 2018 time, if I have been grown up according to my dad's norms, I would have been a better child and would have at least saved a couple of more grants up till now. Well, he may have saved more money living by his dad's standards, but would Naveen have had the meaningful personal growth he's found from his experience of leaving the security of his wealthy family to live and study on the Gold Coast? From Naveen's perspective, I think he was driven by a desire to succeed on his own terms, and indeed he has having just secured a job as a food and beverage supervisor with the prestigious Intercontinental Hotel Group. Naveen's journey has only just begun, but he has absolutely no doubt that he's on the right path. The second part of this summer snap features Jasmina Tamidi. Jasmina moved with her family from Malaysia to Australia, where they continued to practice their Islamic faith. In pursuing her dream to become a doctor at Griffith University, Jasmina began to question the validity of that faith through scientific rationale. Jazzy had reached a point where she felt she had to leave behind the strict codes of a belief system that had been with her since she was a little girl. And while it was a massive leap of faith in her own convictions, and a very brave move on her part, as you'll hear from this exchange, there's been a rebellious streak within her for quite some time. Why was it so much more conservative in Melbourne 
This is really surprising to me because most people would see, particularly foreigners who move to Australia, would see Australian society as more liberal. Mm. I actually find that interesting as well, but I think it's actually the people that make up the Muslim community. And it was full of like Middle Eastern, so it was predominantly like Arabs and Turkish. And then we were obviously the Malaysians and the religious leaders, they were Arabs basically. And so I think that they had sort of a more uh, stricter idea of the religion. And because they were the heads of the mosques, they influenced everybody else. Strict to the point that you didn't feel there was enough colour in your life? Like, I felt, I, Describe what the existence is like. I felt like everything was... Uh, everything in the Quran, basically, was interpreted literally. So it was a very literal interpretation. And so, to me, it was strict in the sense that there was no give. There was no grey area. It was like, it's either a sin or it's not. We either do it or we don't. It's not that, oh... It's all right. Like, you can make up your own mind about it. It wasn't about that. So I felt like I had to grow up thinking in a specific way that would be allowed by the mosque, by the religion. It was a very strict doctrine. Yes. I couldn't have my own thoughts about things. I couldn't think, oh, oh, actually, um, I think that gay people are valid. I couldn't think this. I had to think, mm, like, hate the sin, not the sinner. Right? So I had to think that being gay was a sin. Like I had to think that. I couldn't think anything else. You're a, a music fan. In fact, it would surprise people to know that you're actually a rap artist, which <laughs> blows me away. But you grew up with no music in the house, is that right? Yes. That doesn't go to say that I didn't listen to music. <laughs> um, how did you listen to music then? How did you access it? So you know how they say the strictest parents make like... What do they say? Uh, it's like strict parents make for like sneaky children, right? <laughs> That's what... Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I would lock myself in my room and I had a computer in my room. So I'd go on YouTube and I'd, you know, listen to all this music, really. But the thing about me is that I'm very expressive. So I can't just listen to music in silence. <laughs> I have to like sing along and I have to, you know, all that stuff. And so I'd sing along and my dad would knock on the door and be like... Jazz, what are you doing in there? And I'd quickly turn off all the tabs, you know, clear the history and everything. I'd be like, what? Nothing. I was just practicing, you know, my speech. <laughs> like, and that was it? They accepted that? I mean, I think as a kid you think, oh, I got away with it, yes. But they probably knew something was up. <laughs> <laughs> Teenagers. Yeah. Even your parents perhaps were resigned to at least cut you a little slack. But why did rap music appeal to you specifically? Was there a, a certain artist that captured your attention? Um, I like to listen to rap in multiple languages, so I don't necessarily have to understand it. It's more so the energy. So I like the different like beats and how it like makes me feel. It's like, I don't know, I get like the tingles and I feel very energized listening to rap. So I don't tend to listen to a lot of like sad songs. I don't listen to classical music, things that don't give me a stimulus. I need something that is like hard hitting and Something that gets me, like, jumpy. So it doesn't have to be the message, per se. Mm -hmm. I mentioned, though, that you became a rap artist yourself, Jazzy T. I love this. But how do you become a rap artist when you're living under a roof where there's no music allowed? How does that work? You try to get away with it by calling yourself a poet. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, like a performance artist, Mm -hmm. yes. So, So... 
poems are allowed in Islam. Okay, there were many there were many Muslim poets. So I would write basically my bars, my lyrics, and pretend that they were poems. And obviously I was a kid, so I didn't you know, I was writing just about innocent things. But in my own head I was making up like the melody of it, which is different from a poem. Yeah. You so know? you're hearing hardcore beats exactly. behind your in inverted commas poems. Yes. Right. Where did you perform these then? Like at school or where did this happen? Um, I would perform just in my small circle of friends. So at school, like I just gather people around and be like, yo, like I've written something, like I'm going to just perform it. And so we'd just be in the corner at school just, you know, doing that. Because I know how I have some friends who like to sing and some people who can play instruments, even though that wasn't allowed. But we, you know, like we were like rebels, like we wanted to do things our own way. And we found a way to do it just in secret, you know. When I look at you, I think, wow, so a rebellious young girl who decides she wants to be a rap artist in her spare time, pursue a career in medicine, but growing up in a very conservative Muslim environment, that would break down, I think, many people's preconceived ideas of what a Muslim woman can be or wants to be in this world. How were you seen within... Maybe not so much your own family because your brother and your sister have gone on to have, and your mum have had ambitious careers in the medical profession. But within the wider community, how do you think you've been perceived? I think people learned very quickly not to make assumptions about me. (laughs) When they see me, obviously they're filled with, you know, preconceived ideas about what a Muslim can and can be, really. But then when they meet me, they're like, oh no, all of those are thrown out the window. So the best thing that they can do is ask me or get to know me better, you know. And I think that was the best thing that ever happened, you know, because I didn't like to live according to labels. I didn't like that, you know, whatever label that was put on me, I, it's not that I rebelled against it, it just, it wasn't me. I wanted to pave my own way through life. And hasn't she ever? Jasmina Tamidi is one highly intelligent and very outspoken young woman with a passion for female advocacy and in particular a strong desire to empower Muslim women. What an extraordinary young woman she is. In the next episode of our Summer Snap series, we'll be profiling two mature-aged Australian students who have not only reinvented their own careers but are also proving to be game changers for others. Both of their stories are truly incredible and an inspiration. I hope you can join me next time for Tomorrow is Mine.